0: Welcome back to Pals Pod, episode 26, past the quarter century mark. Uh, Phil, how you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Um, just still uh,
1: smiling from this week's podcast recording. It was quite an entertaining one. Alex was uh, quite the intellectual. Um, well, you sound, yeah, of course, quite the intellectual. Sounds shocked. <laughs> Should you be shocked? No, no, no.
0: but, you know, it, we're just not used to it, are we? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Compared to what we've had, and it was nice to have an audience member this week.
1: It was, yeah. Um Make Wish Foundation left us with with Jim Reeson on the podcast as well. Obviously, went to school with Alex, so yeah, it was it was good. Uh, it was
0: our first foursome. No Everyone, uh, will I do it again? Maybe, maybe different people. will we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe it was a good podcast Long podcast But Covered a lot Had a few uh, Wee breaks Because we upgraded to Zoom Pro um, So it was, it was a nice podcast I'm not sure anyone needed to know that But it was a, a nice right. podcast You know the hashtag Big Boy Pants Hashtag Big Boy pants. Uh, So Rugby wise Even less rugby Because <laughs> The Doncaster Sousers game's been cancelled Which was the only game of rugby going on in the UK Well, in England, anyway. Uh, I think there's still some rugby going off over the Irish Sea, isn't there?
1: Possibly. I'm not aware of what's going on in Ireland. Uh, But, uh, yeah, the Saracens have had a bit of a a nightmare week by the sounds of it um, with regards to COVID. So that game's now off. Um, So, yeah, can't see
0: the Championship starting on time at this rate. No, because that's in pretty much... A month and a few weeks' time, isn't it? About five, six weeks' time. I think it's March the 6th, isn't it? It's the first game day.
1: Yeah. Uh, And this was the pre-season tournament for three of the teams. Yeah. Uh, And doesn't seem to be... Well, one game in, they've already got
0: issues, so... (laughs) Well, at the minute, uh, Samuels have lost two on the bounce while being relegated, so it's not looking great. I mean, I didn't watch the Ealing game. Sounded exciting, looked exciting by the score. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't uh, wasn't great. I watched some of the
1: highlights. It wasn't fantastic, but um, you know, to be fair
0: to the lads, a lot of them haven't played for nearly a year. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we won't uh, slag Sarson's players off too much, considering we've got one on. Uh <laughs> on the podcast today. Um but yeah, so that's a shame. But there we go. That that's life. Six nations coming up. We'll talk about that when we get there. So shall we just uh, if it happens. If it if it happens, if the French decide they now want to play against anything English. Um shall we get straight into the podcast? I think that's probably wise. Um yeah, real good podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy. So here we are with Alex Lewinson and uh our first crowd member, a first audience member of the podcast. Uh, Alex, how are you
2: doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Good. Uh, audience, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Looking forward to the show. Good. Excited to be here? Yeah. What's
3: yeah. a lifetime?
0: Obviously. I can see you, uh, you're shaking with uh, excitement. So we'll let you just witness for a bit and we might come back to you for some, uh, some input and maybe some crowd questions. We don't know, but just for those who, who don't know who Alex Lewinson is, apart from a potentially poor golfer, but we'll come on to that. Um, you played uh, for Tigers, Nottingham, Irish, London Irish. Uh, now you're at Saracens. I did some stat pulling off ESPN, which was exciting for me. Uh, you played 194 professional games, supposedly, 109 in the Prem, 95 starts, Scoring about 200 in the, 200 points in the Prem, 500 over your professional career. It's all very good. You've won the Champions Cup, you've won the English Prem, played for England A. But let us know a little bit more about you. Why, why rugby and who was your rugby role model growing up?
2: Mate, I, I actually think my rugby story is not too, inspired, too inspiring. Sorry, um, I enjoyed rugby, but I was more of a footballer when I was younger um and Jim can vouch me on that up until the end of junior school I really wasn't interested in rugby at all we were both pretty keen footballers um and then moving into secondary school uh no longer played football at our school obviously we went to Nottingham High School and changed it to just rugby um so we started doing both I was doing football on a Sunday and rugby on a Saturday um And I was doing quite well at football. I was in the Notts County Academy um, and I was enjoying it. Uh, And then it got to the point where you get to that point in your teenage years where you start sort of meeting girls and going to parties and a bit of drinking. And um, at the time, the Notts County Academy went into, well, Notts County as a a whole went into administration. Uh, And the first thing to go was the Football Academy. And just as that was happening, I was getting pretty good at rugby. Um... To the point where I would get an interest to being like the county team with the rest of the lads and stuff. So um, things were starting to turn that way. And uh, and then I just, uh, instead of trying to keep going with the football, I just kind of let it go and thought I'd have a go, well, just have a bit of fun with rugby. And and then obviously what kind of went from there. But as a kid, I definitely watched rugby, you know, as like a teenager. Um, I, I didn't watch much premiership rugby because we would always be, I'd be playing uh, foot, rugby on a Saturday when it was on and football was on a Sunday when it was on. So I'd actually watched quite a lot of super rugby. Um, and me, me and a few of my mates were quite into that. So that was early on a Saturday morning so you could get up and watch that. So I, that kind of inspired me more than anything really. Um, and then after that, yeah, just kind of uh, turned into a bit more something that could work out for me. So, yeah. Who's your favorite super rugby player? Favourite? I was a big fan of Luke McAllister back in the day. What? I just thought, oh, yeah, he's just pure physicality. I like that. And at the time, I was playing 12 for school. So he was kind of a bit of my idol. Went on to get a poor version of his Mohican haircut at one point, which was dreadful. But um, <laughs> the less, the less. Is that, is that what that, Jim's
1: rocking now? Is it similar yeah. to what Jim's rocking now, is it? <laughs> Jim's unintentionally got it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> playing football, what position did you play?
2: Uh, I played, well, when we were younger, I was, I was actually more of a winger. So I liked playing on the right wing and J- Big Jim was a, our centre forward at school. So he'd get, he'd get the tappings off my hard work, really. But then... So what size at
3: that age?
2: Yeah, yeah, a bit of goal hanging. Um, and then when we got a bit older, I got pushed back a bit. So I went more as a sort of right back and a point centre back, which also dampened my enthusiasm for the sport a bit as well, because I was not too interested at heading the ball and defending all the time, it's a bit dull. So that's probably a bit of the reason I let it go as well. That's that's almost exactly the reason why I let football
1: go as well. <laughs> <laughs> so this is so boring. Playing in yeah. a half decent team, if you're playing centre back it is painfully boring.
2: Yeah, that was a was problem. I was in a good team. Um, we, we won most weeks at uh, County, and um, me and the other centre-back, we were both quite good footballers, but um, we'd be stuck at the defence and just stood on the halfway line. We'd just count how many touches we'd have per game, and honestly, it'd be like single figures sometimes. It was awful. So, yeah, that was definitely a contributing factor, to be honest.
1: Would you then argue who's going for the corners?
2: Yeah, We genuinely would. We both end up just going up and leaving it wide open at the back. (laughs) Um,
0: So, obviously, you moved away from football, moved into playing rugby, joined in uh, with a few of your mates. How did it come around you getting your first kind of chance to to play for an established club? Um,
2: So, when I was sort of 16, I got invited to join the Tigers Academy for like my sort of last two years like my sixth form years um and they gave you kind of an option whether to you you could well they gave me an option didn't give some lads an option but they said you could either move to Leicester at 16 and join the sort of uh college that they had affiliation with and they would sort of sort your timetable out so you didn't miss a training session and all this um or I could stay at my school and my school gave me like two afternoons off a week and then I would uh, travel over twice a week to train with the academy um, so I did that for two years, I, I decided sorry to stay at my school for two years, did that um, which was uh, it was harder work than I thought I was signing up for but I loved it so I didn't really mind like I was, I'd catch the tram from school to get the train, to get a bus to the Oval Park and then on the way home I'd do the the reverse but my, luckily my, my parents were picking up from the train station on the way back but it was like long days, but it was it was class. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then sort of in my second year of that, around Christmas time, they said, look, we'd like you to come and um, be, you know, a, f- a professional player for us next year. Um, and that's probably when my A-levels took a hit and I stopped caring about that as much. And uh, yeah, just sort of had my heart set on doing that for at least a year, really. So yeah, then it went from there and obviously I moved to Leicester after that.
0: Who uh who are you in the academy with? Anyone that was uh worth talking about?
2: Yeah, well we have we have some good players. Um obviously like George Ford was in my academy group. So I played with him since I was like sixteen. Obviously he's gone on to get countless England caps. Um Fraser Balmain is like a really good mate of mine. We lived together for a few years. Um he's at Gloucester and I know he hasn't been capped, but he must have a fair few premiership games to his name as well. Um Manu was uh, the year above me, so I played a lot with him in the academy. Um, so, yeah, we had some, obviously, pretty pretty good players.
0: Yeah. So, you went from uh, Leicester to where after that?
2: I went, well, while I was at Leicester, I went on loan to Nottingham. So, I was at Leicester for three years, and in the, sec- the, the, two, the last two of those three years, I was back and forth from Nottingham a lot on loan, which Phil can vouch for on that um Leicester kind of had an agreement with Nottingham that they would loan the young players to them so there'd be a couple of car loads of us go over two or three times a week uh trying to save on petrol all of us crammed into these tiny cars flying up the A46 um which was great fun as well so and then I absolutely loved being at Nottingham too because I always wanted to play for them like my home team and stuff and uh yeah, I really enjoyed those years of class.
0: Um, so you, you spent time on loan with, uh, with Phil. How, how fun was that to be
2: in Phil's presence?
0: Was he boring then?
2: Uh, or? <laughs> Man, I didn't get to know Phil well at the beginning. Even though he was a really nice guy, I didn't know him that well because I was like a bit of an outsider. So I kind of latched on to like-minded people, me and Phil, maybe at the time, him being this big... Aggressive forward, <laughs> me being a not so aggressive back didn't uh, merge too much, but we got to know go each other. The more we played with each other, and yeah, it was good fun. I liked seeing Phil charge charge the ball back every so often. It was good uh...
1: when I wasn't injured. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think the th- the thing with like me and Lewington, obviously Lewington's what three years younger than me, three school years younger than me anyway, and. Um, I actually went and coached at his school the year he left school. So he left the school and then I came in and coached at his school. And I obviously missed him and didn't know too much about him, but his teachers were telling me, oh, there's this lad who's just contested the Tigers. And then he rocked up to, to training. But because, like Alex says, um, there was a group of them that kind of turned up mainly for team runs, I seem to remember. There wasn't too much of actual training. So a uh, Nottingham team run, we'd split... So obviously, I'd be with the forwards. Alex would be with the backs, and then we'd do the team run for like twenty minutes, and that was it. And then they'd all dive back in their car and bomb back to Leicester because there'd be free food on at lunchtime at Leicester or whatever, <laughs> and they're all desperate to get back for that. So we didn't really see each other. But then in the probably in like the second year, Lewington was with us a bit more full time, weren't you? You you did a bit yeah. of training with us that year, and we got to know each other then. And you know, I was sort of out injured for a large portion of that season I think but um, you know Alex made a huge contribution to the Nottingham team in terms of of tries and and just sort of ability um, he definitely injected a bit of pace in a team that was that was aging I think in the back line a little bit so yeah it was great to play that. Like, so the first game he played for Nottingham was against Leicester you know pre-season friendly and Alex got the only try of the game I think
2: <laughs> yeah. I actually injured myself in the act, so I don't know if it was worth it. But um <laughs> so that's why me and Phil didn't get to know each other that because well, I was out for six weeks after that and then not Nottingham fell out with Leicester and we didn't come for about three months after that either. So yeah, put a halt on things. But I'm glad you remember that, Phil. Means a lot, mate.
1: Yeah, well it's you know, when you're watching from about 30 metres away on the pitch you tend to remember these things
3: (laughs) Alex Phil's Phil's always telling us that he used to be quick and he's lost his pace and he assures Mm. us he was quicker than he is now can you vouch for that?
2: Phil I'm sorry I don't know if I can vouch for that mate like this is unbelievable stuff (laughs) you said it yourself you are injured a lot when was this pace coming in?
1: well until I was about 23 so so when we were playing together (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not having it. I mean, well, there we go, slower,
3: sports fans. There's an exclusive. Phil was never fast.
0: I mean, you've got to be pretty, pretty niche sports fan if you actually cared about that. Um, but, Phil, what's, <laughs> what's, have you got to come back to that? Or are we just taking the, uh, the Premiership oh, oh. viewpoint on this or yours? I mean, I'm not fast
1: compared to Alex, am I? Let's be honest. I'm talking fast for a six foot four, 18 stone forward. Not
2: were you, were you the fastest forward, Phil? Because I'm sure there's some ex Nottingham players tuning into this, they'll they'll know
1: until until I was about 21, 22. I was the fastest forward by a first step. I'm putting it out there,
0: Is, wow. uh, he's faster now, Jim or Phil? Jim, Jim, yeah. I mean, who weighs 70, 70 kilos? Jim,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yes, doesn't have to carry around any hair. No, i just uh.
2: In relation to... <laughs> a, lot <of> digs, <laughs> a lot of digs at the hair, Jimbo. It's tough, really? mate.
0: <laughs> you need to just do what I did. I got so many digs. But I just sat- ignore them. See, I did the opposite. I just cried and shaved my head. It's, uh, but I mean, difference is you're 70kg and get away with it. I am <laughs> I weighed myself this morning for a weigh-in. 150kg and uh, really, really fucking horrible. So no one's going to let me get away with it. Um, so after Nottingham um, and Leicester you moved to to Irish what was London Irish what was that like?
2: Mate it was actually so good when I first went um, it was just what I wanted I kind of um, well I've, it got to about November time and Leicester hadn't spoke to me about get, giving me a new deal um, which is fine usually the young lads were last on the list anyway so you're usually waiting until about February or March but I remember that uh, I just lost all heart that they had any confidence in me. And I thought I would, like, obviously I was enjoying Nottingham, but my heart was set on playing premiership rugby. So I wanted to sort of be at a premiership rugby team that I was part of properly. And luckily Glenn Delaney had moved from Nottingham to Irish. Uh, he was my coach uh, the first year I was at Nottingham. We got on really well. And then uh, he heard I was sort of keen to leave and, they were looking for a little a bargain like a cheap cheap winger to sort of fill in as maybe like third or fourth maybe fifth choice at the time obviously Irish had a much squat smaller squad than Leicester so um, they offered me a three-year deal and I was doing uni at the time and this is sort of like how little faith I had in myself I suppose um, I was doing uni and if I made it part-time and with this deal being three years, I thought to myself, well, I can move uni, finish my degree. And at least by the end of uni, I'll have a debt-free degree, which which I thought was quite good. So um, that's why I kind of was able to go as well. But also it was a great opportunity to go and uh, play a few games. Um, and then when I joined Irish, yeah, it was a great group of lads, loads of young lads. Um, we all lived near each other. Um Obviously, coming to London as a 21-year-old, it's pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> see the bright lights and all that. So, yeah, I threw myself into that um, and threw myself into the squads. And I think you you can almost have a bit of a choice when you join a rugby squad. You can sort of be all in or, or you can sort of pick and choose your moments. And I was like fully all in, like any event I was at, um, anything going on. Um, socially or rugby-wise, I was all in. So yeah, I loved it. It was it was awesome for me.
3: Is that, Is that what that you got your lunch? blue tick?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you get for being all in, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reap the rewards. So, when you moved down to Irish, um, it was like you said, it
1: was quite a young squad, wasn't it? Um, Glenn had gone down there and made a bit of changes up front and and brought in a few other lads from Leicester with you so I think Johnny Harris and Jimmy Stevens went down with you Um, Gun's quite good at sort of keeping the players he likes together Um, what what was sort of like the the ethos of that team because I know obviously London Irish have struggled for the last sort of 10 or so years what what was that ethos on there like?
2: I couldn't tell you our game plan like our game plan literally changed every week we had brian smith in uh, in charge and i got on well with smithy like he had some strange techniques to get the best out of people but um yeah he was an unpredictable coach to say the least and some games we'd kick everything some games we'd throw the ball up like from anywhere um and there's a lot of like interchanging of that stuff but um it was we had some like you could call them, suppose, like Jouet characters. We had Shane Garretti and Ian Humphreys with our two tens, and they certainly like to sort of try a few things. So we weren't scared to throw it about, that's for
0: sure. <laughs> um, do you know how many games you played for Ireland in the end?
2: I think I was just over a hundred.
0: Yeah, just over a hundred. So you, when you got there as a fresh-faced 21-year-old hitting the town, getting fan pages set up. Uh, for you by people did you imagine you were going to get the the century worth of games for Irish
2: Um, I didn't I didn't know if I would but I really wanted to Um, I'd like join this club that seemed to want to give me everything I wanted to give back so um, I really wanted to achieve that and I remember before the year before I came at Nottingham and there was a lot of chat about the 100 club. I can't remember. Maybe like Jacko was getting some ridiculous game number or um, 300. Yeah. So he got 300. And um, I remember like Jack Cobson at the time was stuck on 99 and he couldn't get, I don't know if he ever got his hundredths. And so for some reason at the time, there's a lot of chat going on about all that stuff. And i would never thought about that before. And then you walk into Irish and they have like a wall and everyone who's hit 100 games has their picture on the wall, um, which Leicester didn't do. So that's probably why it's something I had not really thought about. Uh, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, I quite like that. It means you have properly invested in a team and, um, and you, you know, you can consider yourself sort of part of the, part of the wallpaper, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I wanted it. I definitely wanted it. Jim, just
0: going to go to the audience quickly. At this point in your life... Um, Firstly, what were you doing? Um, uh, yeah, answer that one first. What were you doing as one of your best mates was lighting up the, the big smoke? Uh, I,
3: I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably just mincing about at uni.
0: Yeah,
3: um, you were mincing, playing, after, in, really. playing in the twos over there. Not really doing much. <laughs> yeah.
2: Did you and yeah. uh, different,
3: different trajectories? It was one of those, yeah, but yeah. watching in play, supporting from afar.
2: You and Stokesy were conquering the o- ocean at the time, weren't you? Yeah. Completing, <laughs> yeah. completing ocean, I think is the Mate, worst. if you've yeah. not had
0: a dip in the ocean, <laughs> you've not done a Wednesday night properly, if we're right. Uh, a dip uh, in the ocean uh, is something that I think everyone should feel like they need to get on their CV. Um, yeah.
3: My, my biggest worry was, you know, what, what fancy dress are we wearing this week? Yeah, you know, he's 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 thinking about his his hundred start in the Premiership. So, yeah, different different uh, upbringings from that that sense. Did
0: uh, did did Alex feature in your chat up lines? Was it like my mate playing like top level rugby at the minute? I can let you like sell agent on the phone. Just we have to go back to mine for it. Or no, no. To be fair, it was, the the best was just
3: when he was there because. Uh, <laughs> no one knew who he was. <laughs> there, was a, there were, there certainly were a couple of times we have been out. And just think, oh, is that you know, Alex Livington? But you know, it's that's funny. Goat, you
2: know, you're giving me far too much credit, mate. I'm telling you, we were all horrible little scumbags together at that age on a night out. I can assure you of that.
0: Well, uh, we'll come back to your horribleness as a group of friends in a bit um So, why you don't uh, like the sound of that? <laughs> I do because Jim, if you want to hear me, like, because yeah, I mean, yeah. when you were on, we had a few listeners, but we expect, considering uh, the, the social media attraction that Alex brought with him, we expect a few more people to listen and also they're going to want to know a little bit more about you. Um, hopefully, it will get your industry followers up a bit. So, um, maybe we could I get over 450 that's the question well I'm on 600 mate and I'm a celebrity now so that's <laughs> that's the ceiling you've got to break through mate that's the ceiling you got to break through so we'll come back to that but while you were Irish you were uh, played for England A didn't you the Saxons um, how did that come about
2: um, so the year before I played for like a England 15 again, which wasn't a cap or anything but it was against the Barbarians at so I'd done that the year before, and then um that year the at the end of the year sorry so sorry, the following year, I was playing quite well, even though we weren't playing well as a team, so it was a bit of a surprise towards the end of the year. I remember I was on um was actually on our end of year social, and I'd turned my phone off because we'd had the court session, and as we all know like absolute liberty for your phone to go off in the court session so I, I'd turn that off and um, came out the court session we obviously in London it's not as easy as just walking to the next pub so we, would, we were jumping on a train from Twickenham to I think we're heading to Putney or Clatham or somewhere and um, turned it on and, that, and I'd had loads of like well done messages and I was like oh well what's this and um, obviously I'd been picked to go on that tour so that was a pretty exciting, and uh, we had a we had a pretty talented group of players um, that went on that tour. You look at the players that have gone on to do what they did. Um, you know, I think uh, it was pretty special to be part of. And then, um, obviously, sadly, I did my ACL in the first game, so then came home after that.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> it, was, it was South Africa, weren't
2: it? Yeah, the eight like the A team, their A team. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh
0: the injury that uh, must have kind of fucked you in a bit, a little bit, or?
2: Yeah, I was in a bit of a bad place, really, because we'd just been relegated to Irish, and um, so I wasn't really sure. Obviously, my career was at its highest, and my club te- my club side was at its lowest, and I wasn't really sure what to do, really. Obviously, you want to be loyal, but at the same time, I felt like that was my chance to really kick on, and potentially get an England squad. Um, So then I obviously did the injury on the tour um, and I knew I was going to be out for sort of minimum nine months. And I had a lot of faith in London Irish at the time that, you know, they'd retain the squad and we'd come straight back up. Uh, So I decided that I had a better network, support network around me and I wanted to stay and stuff. So I I stayed and um, came back and we sort of, Win the champ that year, which although, you know, the we want, I personally wanted to be playing in a high level competition. I have to, I have to say that year, probably my favourite year in rugby, like from, from sort of three, so after doing the injury, after three months, that first three months was pretty boring. You don't really do too much when you have that kind of injury. But then uh, the sort of after that point, it was great. Um, I sort of self-declared myself as social captain of the club and um, just drove, drove the performance off the pitch rather than on the pitch for a while. Um, so that was great. And then obviously once I got back playing, uh, that was obviously a huge relief. And then to go and win was pretty good. So, yeah. Do you organise a good social? I've been known to throw a few socials. Uh, yeah, I will say that. Me, I have a partner in crime. His name's Connor Gilson and he's actually just retired. But um, me and Gilly, he's a hilarious Irish chap. And um, yeah, I, I think people who would have been with us at London Irish would vouch for us, I reckon. Yeah. Any
0: standout stories or are we glazing over this?
2: Uh, I'd say the, the standout one, I'll run you through it quickly. It was a Super Sunday after our last game of the season. And it was actually after, just after we'd won the champs, so it was the next day. So we'd have we'd had the, the compulsory night back at the training grounds. Like we had a at London Irish, they've got like a sort of event uh, space next to it, and it's called Hazelwood, and there's um, like a fully functioning bar and stuff in there. So really good from the owner. He said, you know, bars on me. Everyone was singing songs in there till five in the morning, whatever. And then it was strict instructions to be. At a pub in Putney, right by the river, for midday. So, you know, we, we got there nice and early, set up. Um, we'd gone and done a little tour of London, me and Gilly, in preparation to make sure everything was in place. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so we ran we ran the court session, got everyone nicely back on it, punished a few academy players, and then uh, we'd hired a boat, basically. So this boat picks up and from Putney Pier. Uh, we had like a open top boat. It was like amazing day, 25 degrees. Had a banging tunes going, free bar downstairs. So we did a three hour boat ride along the Thames. And then we went into London Bridge, Cats and Jammers. And we ended up at, um, some DJ was playing at uh, a big club in East London. We ended up there. So that was quite a good one, to be fair.
0: It was the loosest in your uh, in the RST. I know that's
2: a proper standard
0: kind of Andy Goode question. But what's who was the loosest?
2: Uh I would say in terms of I reckon loose as a word can be interpreted differently, but in terms of like <laughs> drank drank a lot and rogue behaviour, in my first year at Irish I played with Chris Halloween, the Tongan guy, and all oh, oh my words, loose beyond your wildest dreams. Telling
1: yeah <laughs> he he literally ruined my first ever game for Nottingham. It was against London Irish in a preseason friendly, and I was packing down at eight because I was only I'd only just turned eighteen, and the first choice number eight had managed to break his ankle on our first social in the preseason. So, um, no names, but he jumped out a walkabout down the stairs and broke his ankle. Um, nice. And he'll be on the podcast soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I ended up starting against Chris Halafia and um, we packed down for this scrum. I'm in eight, he's in eight. The ball's gone in. I've stood up and he's already scored by the time. <laughs> and from like 25 metres, I never saw him. He'd just gone. <laughs> I was just like, oh, right, okay. They're quite good, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you attempt to tackle him at any point? Yeah, I think when... In gameplay, I think I tackled him. I think, um, luckily, I think that was the same time there was like an England tour on, and maybe an England a tour as well. So there's quite a few of their players not there. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, I think it was one of Shane Goherty's first games for London Irish, actually. Thinking about it, it was that long ago.
0: That long ago. Um, before we move on to kind of well, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, Phil. Would you like to get your package out? Yes, having? let's do that. You can leave your head on.
1: You can leave your head on. You can leave your head on. So Alex, I think you know the drill. Uh it's just a quick answer. Quick, ask, That's... Quick, quick answer game. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about this actually. Don't worry, I've kept it very, uh, yeah, with 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 your uh, fan base, I've kept this very very clean. So, favorite alcoholic beverage?
2: Um, lager.
1: Oh, you got to narrow it down, mate.
2: Oh, okay, a nice ice cold Corona. Nice. Favorite number? Seven. <laughs>
1: Tigers, Irish or Saracens? Saracens. I see what you've done there.
2: Favourite try? (laughs) Um, Favourite try? Probably scoring uh, my third try against Saracens for Irish. Probably got me my contract now to be fair. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Nathan Jones or James Stokes? Uh, I'm here supporting JKS Boyles so um, it's got to be Nathan Jones.
1: (laughs) Best player you've ever played against?
2: Uh, I'm a big Christian Wade fan, so I'll go Chris- Wadey. Uh,
1: last time you had a wee somewhere other than a toilet?
2: <laughs> uh funny so you ask that, actually, because, <laughs> well, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is just outside the Sarri's gym into a farmer's field, so that's not that interesting. But I was walking through a park in London the other day and there's like big, uh, and we, I've been there, sorry, in the summer once the first lockdown was over when you're allowed to gather outside with people and stuff and we'd got pissed all day all day and um, there's like a big bush and we walked past it. It's looking a bit bare at the moment, obviously it's seasonal and that, but a lot of, a lot of weeing in there in last summer. That was, um, yeah, that's funny you say that, weird coincidence.
1: Um, who's your favorite opposition in what respect? Who do you like playing against the
0: most? <laughs> Who, like. Um, in what other way would you like it? To might be? be the easiest question on this whole fastest, yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> I don't know. You might be like, Who's your mates? Which opposition are your best mates? I'm, I, I'd probably say London Welsh because we pumped them every time we played them. Which <laughs>
1: Oh, well, who didn't? Um, yeah. <laughs> and finally, Jonty or Jim? <laughs> Sorry, Jonty,
2: I
0: have to go to Jim. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's Poor right. Me. Last week we had a bloke that didn't know <laughs> either of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 went Jim, didn't he? Still went, Jim, but on the basis that John T is a shit name. Yeah. <laughs> so we've taken a short break in the podcast to announce the giveaway winner. Obviously, last week we put on the table of crate Guinness and uh, also the option of a few bottles of Lamborghini, um, which, to be fair, more people asked for the Lamborghini than I thought would ask for the Lamborghini. I think it was two. Two. I mean... That's more than I thought that would ask for Lamborghini, if I'm honest. Um, but I don't think this the winner actually asked for Lamborghini. I think they chose Guinness, if I'm he honest. He was a Guinness. He was a Guinness. Would you like to announce who is the winner of the first ever Paz Pod giveaway? I would love to. Uh, thank you for everyone who, who
1: shared and commented. Uh, but the winner of the first Paz Pod giveaway is Elliot Seven. Fix. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolute fix. No, well done, Hal. Uh When we see you again, we'll give you the crate of Guinness, Um, unless it's really urgent and message us and we'll get your dad to buy it for you instead.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: perfect. Perfect. But I can just Even better. <laughs> reimburse Rob with a... Uh, a couple of bottles of Lambrini. I think it's a fair, <laughs> <laughs> fair... Again, trying to mention Lambrini as much as I can to get it in. Um, back to the podcast? Let's. Cool. So, Alex, we reached out on uh, social media to, to get some questions in from the fans. Um, so the first one came in from a former teammate, currently at Quinn's. You might be able to guess just by that. <laughs> But the uh, but the question was, what's your weights uh, program and exercise for your chest? Because it's looking pretty big at the minute. And um, so that comes in from Scottsdale. So well, what's the uh, what's the regime for that? Because we all know we can all get bigger. Ch- well, I can't get bigger chest, but I'd like it more kind of tone. Uh,
2: now, I've tried to get a bigger chest. I really have. I've really tried. And it's not worked out for me maybe training with Scott Steele for so many years has probably dented my chances of ever having a big chest because he's not one to talk with himself but um it's just pure genetics you know it's just not going to happen for me I've come to accept that it's something you, as you get older you, you come to peace with it's fine
3: <laughs> oh that is a good one it's always been the same way hasn't
2: it always has Ah. I- you know, I'm not blowing a trumpet, but I'm strong. I just can't get the size there. I don't know what the the genetic makeup of tricep. my chest is.
3: You know yeah. It's all tricep, you know this. It's all tricep and shoulder.
2: Yeah, it, is. it probably is. You're right, Jim. <laughs> to be I
3: fair, mean, when that I question... mean, as you say, talking of Steely, he's he's not one to talk, is he? Well,
2: he's gone
3: from he's gone from the most what? physical nine in the league to to 60 kilos.
2: Well, like, I'm, like I was saying, it's quite an ironic that it, quite ironic that it came from him in particular, where I've seen his body transform so many times over the years I've known him. Um, but you know, he's, you know, the public are entitled to their questions. I'm happy to answer it. It's fine.
1: Well, maybe he actually just genuinely wants some advice because maybe he's struggling at hard acquaintance.
2: <laughs> I promise you, he's he not. Phil. yeah, he's a,
0: he's a good nick now as well, isn't he? Second question
2: from the public Um,
0: it actually came from an audience member today Um, why are you so bad at golf (laughs) because for me I said to you I said most professional sportsmen's back up like to relax is go down the course hit the ball I mean I'm not a golfer I don't know the technical term swing probably don't go swinging down in a, uh, a grassy patch but what why why have you never cracked golf
2: Mate, do you know what it is for me? It's probably a bit of therapy for me, golf. So my performance probably highly depends on what's going on in my life at that moment in time. And if it's any sort of turbulence, then the golf game takes a hit, to be honest. So, yeah, I'd say my temperament is quite poor on a golf course. On the other hand, I would say I'm quite capable of the magnificence but on the other hand, I'm quite capable of the worst golf you've ever seen. So, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, really you bad.
1: Of, I believe you were part of the, the trip to the Belfry. Is that right?
2: I was, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. What was
1: your what was your sort of average across the well, the two days you played golf? Because you didn't manage the third well, day as a group. But.
2: Well, you came clearly, second, I,
0: didn't
3: you?
2: Exactly. I was quite stable over the two days, actually. I came second overall. I think I came second both days as well. So I did quite well. Is that, I think mean, that's the that question. Is that net? Huh?
1: Is that net? Yeah. Yeah,
3: Yeah, okay. um, yeah but... Um, no, but we, we all play off the same.
2: Okay. My, um, my partner, James Stokes, actually... So we all just who, played
3: off 15.
2: Yeah. My partner, he, he let me down drastically over the two days. And I want that known on record because he was absolutely awful. And I haven't seen another have a good game since, to be fair. So, Stokes, Stokes, if you're James listening... Stokes, James Stokes... Yeah, I need more from you, mate. I need more from you.
0: The fun fun thing is I can cut that, so uh, you can't blame anyone else. But I'll I'll leave it in for the sake of that. Um, And this question came from uh, a a fan, um, from a a Saracen's fan page, which I reached out to. Um, It was quite a good question, actually, because everyone remembers that the full kit Uh, 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 Alex um, now he's away in Japan who's the big drinker and the fancy dress winner in the dressing room at the minute
2: good question to be honest we haven't really had a chance because of Covid I mean Goody left in November and since then we've had two lockdowns and you know tier 4 in London so uh, it's hard to say although before uh, Goody left, I'll just give a shout out to, so we had a social once with Saris um, and he had to come as a famous duo and he came with Duncan Taylor and they came as the two robbers from uh, Home Alone and th- I don't know if you know what like Duncan Taylor looks like but he's obviously got a bit of a fro going on, you know how one of the characters gets the eye into the face and like his hair so it's pretty special to be fair so I-, I have to give Duncan a bit of a shout out there to be fair
0: so the answer to that is still pending.
2: Yeah, that is a good answer, actually. Yeah,
0: pending. We'll have to we'll have to come back for another point. So uh, there were a lot more questions that came in. Um, some of them a lot more noisy than that. So we don't. We'll, we'll leave that aside. Um, before we go on to to Saturdays, something that uh, I did want to ask about was loose heads, because um, obviously you're an ambassador for that. So for those who haven't listened to any rugby podcast before do you want to tell us a little bit around what Loose Heads is um and also how you got involved in it
2: yeah so I suppose um getting involved in it was uh I was at a point in my life where I wanted to sort of put something into something that was nothing to do with rugby nothing to do with a sort of a next career just something that would maybe help support people or some sort of charity or something I suppose and it kind of coincided in in uh, my life with uh, not me personally, but um, someone close to me and my family um, having a you know it was a, a, tra- a tragic uh, moment to be honest. So uh, that kind of inspired why I wanted to go down the mental health uh, charity route. And um, at the time, I had I'd made some good friends throughout rugby who actually weren't at Saracens, but um i all knew i knew they were all really good guys and they were getting involved this uh this um thing called loose heads which was kind of all about just tackling the stigma particularly using rugby as a platform because traditionally i suppose we are sort of alpha males in a in societal sense and stuff um and trying to uh, get guys to open up and talk about how they are and, and stuff like that and it kind of hit home a bit with me on that so um yeah, since then I've been involved. I got in touch with them, said I want to help. and they, They've been great since. Um, and I suppose the main thing they do really is obviously use their social media platform through the players to sort of encourage mental well-being um, through talking, communicating, exercising. That's a big one for me. I'm a big believer of, um, you know, regular activity and, and all, just being, an active, being active can help you so much of that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, and obviously, they, they have a sort of clothing range that like that's their, one of their main ways of raising money, which they uh, donate to mental health research and char- other charities and support networks and stuff. So, um, yeah, everyone who anyone who's listening is interested, get over to Loosehead's Instagram page, and you'll find out all you need to know there. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, the full story, really, on that.
3: Good, good clobber too, isn't it? It's a nice, cool, cool logo for, for the rugby fans.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of like you're sort of, they're, sort of, they're kind of traditional colours, kind of like black sort of, that's, if anyone who knows me, that's predominantly what I wear other than my JK Boyle sky blue polo. Um, I'm kind of a neutral colours kind of guy um, with kind of an on the loose head stuff, it's got a little rugby post logo thing, which is like their sort of symbol. Um, so yeah, you can get all sorts of stuff, gym wear, leisure wear, whatever.
0: Have you, have you got any other stash, Jim? Uh,
3: well, no no not yet anyway but i will be i will be heading straight over to at loose heads and going on their shop after you can, this
0: you can you can do that but you can also for another mental health charity that i'm a part of just going to slip that one in there hype with Mike foundation we do nice beanies so you can get a beanie from us and some nice clobber from that uh, loose heads um so yeah no if people i mean i've looked up on it for the purpose of this it is mint. it's definitely worth looking at. Um, so, Sarris, current day. Um, so let's let's ask some questions around Sarris. So, what was it like to get a move down there initially?
2: Um, it was a bit, yeah, it was a slightly surreal, I suppose, at the time. Um, obviously, the year I joined, we had a ridiculous squad in terms of um the amount of internationals, and not just internationals, but internationals at the peaks of their career and um, not just the england boys and the lions boys you've got guys like will skelton and phenomenal talent littered throughout the squad and uh yeah probably a bit daunting to be honest and in terms of my personal um mental health it was actually probably the first six months was a bit of a struggle for me in terms of trying to find my feet in terms of where where was my position in the squad um Have the confidence to do what I wanted to do on the field. That, uh, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on, really. Um, And even though I was playing reasonably well, I thought there was sort of, I was kind of not fully, I don't know how to explain it, but they weren't getting a full account of me. Um, But then always with time, you get used to being in an environment more comfortable. And I think you see it um, in football quite a lot when, uh, particularly like a big, Club might sign a player, and it takes them a little bit of time to settle in. I think that's fair to say with my Sari's career so far. That the longer I've been there, I think the more of an impact I've had. Really.
0: So you you compared it to a big player going to a big club and not selling. So what big player in football are you saying you're at a similar level at? I mean, <laughs> paid for Arsenal, Saul Pepe. I mean, he's not really. I reckon. Settled.
3: I reckon Gareth Bale returning to uh, to Tottenham. I think he's at. The- <laughs>
0: That sort of level. Sat on the bench right. and keeping it warm.
2: Yeah, yeah I, was, I was doing that a lot, to be fair, in my first year. So it's not That's probably it. a bad reflection. Um, Danny
1: Ings, isn't he? Danny Ings back to...
2: Yeah, well, Ings, he's after a move. Maybe he, he's got itchy feet. He wants to get to, there's, camp there's in league, to, to the Champions
3: League, doesn't level,
2: level, mate, he? So he bangs like goals, it. doesn't he, though? Yeah, he, he does, does bang goals. He knows where he goes.
1: It's also akin to Alex's ability to just score tries. Yeah,
2: so maybe an Ingsy, a bit of a Danny Ings, but hopefully he goes back and actually does well at Liverpool this time. That'd be good. We, I uh,
0: mean, as a Liverpool fan, we I'd swap him for Bobby Firmino at the minute, but that's a a different conversation. You you said about settling in. I mean, there's a big thing. Well, there was a big thing a few a few while back about the the Sousins effect. What was the culture like down there? What is the culture like down there?
2: Mate, it, it's good. Like. Um, at Saracens as a player I think you get treated better than well so when I was at London Irish I was very lucky because I had sort of a very fast impact and became a first team regular quickly so once you're in that starting 15 on the whole you get looked after well but I also saw wider members of the squads and a good friends of mine and then you also talk to friends who've gone to other clubs and it's fair to say I think that rugby as a whole has a bit of a um, I don't know a false uh, false impression that it's a loyal look after everyone um, traditional sort of uh, environment which uh, anyone who's been involved in rugby Phil probably speak about it as well is um I don't think that's really the case. The players are pure commodities and the clubs effectively use them until they can't use them anymore for whatever reason. So when I came to Darry's, um I'd obviously heard about the culture and you know the tightness of the group. Um, and for me personally, I felt that London, my squad at London Irish over the course of my five years there we just as tight as a group of mates as this Sari squad. Um, but the Sari squad that I joined was getting treated a whole lot better than the London Irish squads I've been part of. So as a whole, that kind of lifts squad morale. And I suppose as a whole organisation, probably does create a better culture in that respect. So um, the people who've been involved at Sari since they you know came out of college and you know first first team contract I always say to them is like you honestly don't know how well you're looked after you're very lucky like the attention to detail you have over your rugby career and you as a person is next to none and having met like and been involved with Nigel Ray he is the most generous bloke I've come across so I can't only speak highly can't speak high of him but I think it's like something that filters down throughout a whole organisation, rather than just it's not just team morale. You can't just you, it's not just a team that for some reason over ten years has had amazing team morale. Like I don't think it works like that. So it's a good question. That go give you that.
1: I think it's quite interesting the way you you put that, and and you know I I was part of a very close knit Nottingham squad for six years, and there was a group of us there for. For almost that entire six years, and you experienced that, Alex, at different points where there was a group of us that we just got on, and that team was was brilliant. You know, we, we came second to to Newcastle one year, and, and we close in other years as well. But I think in terms of where I am now, personally, and Jim and Tom are probably back, so. When you're in a in a company that doesn't care about the well-being of their employees, or they're so large that they can't care about the well-being of employees, and you go somewhere new, as Jim and myself and Tom have in, in recent times, the difference of, of your your personal mental well being, as you put it, is massive. And you just suddenly feel much more driven to improve, you know, get an even more integral part of the group, try even further. And I think salaries are the first first rugby team by far to actually try and incorporate this and, and I've realised that there's a there's a real benefit to it
3: I don't yeah, know whether,
1: I, I don't yeah, know whether when you were at Leicester that was the case but I, I would probably garner not um, but yeah I think I think it's it's the way that sport needs to start heading
2: really uh, yeah and I you know I'm sure I don't know if we were really going to touch on you know the salary cap stuff with salaries but you know, within, within um, a lot of the things that the club did wrong, a lot of it, in my opinion, is is just genuinely forward thinking for the longevity of of a sportsman who has a relatively short shelf life. Mm. And, and each rugby club is limited by a salary cap. So you can only pay, you have to have a squad of players, so you can only pay a certain amount per year. But what, at the end of someone giving you Five, ten years service. Is that just a handshake, cheer for that? See you later. Is that how it's done? I think, uh touching on Nigel before, he's obviously innovative in terms of some of the things he did, and some of them were wrong, and that's fine. We're, we're paying the punishment now, but I think that could potentially be a future avenue for how rugby manages its inflation as a sport. Instead of paying huge salaries, why not like? Invest in a a player's company, or invest in a house together, or or something like that, which has more financial um sub substance than just paying someone, let's say, a hundred grand for five years, and then cheers to your service. That's that, and they could be underqualified, as we all will be at the end of our careers, to move into anything else. So, yeah,
0: yeah definitely. I think. There's, there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of ex-pros that have got their own views on it. That aren't at Saris or have been at Saris and they and other players. But actually what I think people do forget is when the rugby career is over, it's not at 65 years old, like most people it's at still a young age where people tend to have 20, 30 years of kind of professional life in them. So for me, it is a case of what, why why leave someone that's given you a service basically with nothing or, you give them a hand. You go right. Here's a step up. Let's see what we can do with this. Well, this is your little interest here. See if we can fly with it. And I think it, it's wrong now, but personally, I wouldn't be surprised if in five, ten years' time, it's the to do thing. And we look yeah. and go, actually,
1: what Nigel Bristol players just covering this up now, just just make sure before yeah. out. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think I think you're right that um, yes, so he's broke. What the laws were but there was no like dirty wrongdoing it's all it's all like you say is preparing players for life after rugby it's putting players in the strongest position once they leave it's setting them up for future life um and and, have to be honest i think a lot of it was the fact that people getting sick of getting dicked by saris week in week out because they had a 50 man squad and about 40 of them were internationals i think that was the main issue and, you know, it, it, there's 11 other clubs in the Premiership who were sick of it because they were getting hammered week in, week out, you know, maybe Exeter aside, but their owners either couldn't afford to or, or weren't willing to invest in their clubs in the same way, whereas, whereas Mr Ray has obviously set himself up in a, in a strong position and done this. So I... Although you know everyone likes to jump on a bandwagon and slag, a, slag them off left, right, and centre when it happened, whenever it was, twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, I think you know there's two ways of looking at it. You can look at it as a rugby supporter and say, yeah, it was unfair; it was outside the laws of the the laws of the salary crap, salary cap. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it and say, actually, you know, this guy's actually trying to look after these players because at the age of, you know, I, I came out of rugby and and was lucky to land in the job I landed in if I hadn't done that then I'd have had no qualifications I'd have had no sort of solid income and we would have been in a real me and my wife would have been struggling but I was lucky to in a job but there will be like 150 other lads who won't have that luck and friendship group of accountants that basically put their arm around me and found me
2: a a job yeah and look I'm I'm speaking from someone who, you know, I certainly wasn't benefiting from any of these, you know, things that Nigel was doing with the players. I was just on a regular salary. And since then I'm paying the consequence as, you know, we've been relegated and I'm not playing Premiership rugby. So I think I'm quite a fair thing to say, but I genuinely think it's progressive thinking to suggest that that's quite a pragmatic way of going forward in supporting players and talk about club care. I obviously had the most amazing five years at London Irish. Couldn't have asked for any more. Um, but when I left, I didn't, I didn't get any sort of mention as, in terms of thanks for your service. It, was a, a, I got, it got announced on the club website in the January, like Alex is leaving, that was that. And then at the end of the season, we didn't even have a team meeting or anything to say like thanks for your service. And I'd played over 100 games for the club, whereas a team like Saracens, which I'm at now, no matter um, how many games you've played, you could, have, you could have come to Saracens and not played one game, but at the end of the season, we'll have a team meeting where one of your best pals who's been there will stand up, say a speech about you, what you've brought to the team, who you are, and you'll get a signed picture frame with everything on it, um, message, personal messages from the group. And it's just, I think little touches like that go a really long way and... Um, When people talk about the Saudi culture, just to go back to that, I think, um, yeah, and here's here's another example. So when I signed for Saracens, I'd never met Nigel Ray or anything like that. All I'd had is a a meeting with the coaches, which had gone really well, and then I signed. But uh, in the post, um, a week or two later, came a handwritten letter from Nigel Ray welcoming me to the club, saying he'd watched me, you know, he enjoyed how I played, couldn't wait for me to, the Saracen shirt on and do that at Allianz Park well not Allianz Park now but was Allianz Park and like little things like that I just think are phenomenal and like even if you can't even in a non-rugby sense in a business sense I think you can take a lot from that you know.
3: So obviously the I mean the the culture is great but how does it translate to to kind of training you know how because obviously they're they're not the best team and weren't the best team because they have the best culture obviously it helps but is that training different from anything you've
2: done before? How do how do you prepare differently? It's um, it's just super competitive all the time. It's um, relentlessly competitive, and the coach's eye for detail is like through the roof. I've never had um, this level of coaching until I came to Saracens, and also you're being coached all the time because by the players because um, you've got so many good players around you. If you do something good, obviously they're going to positively reinforce that, tell you, like, we need more of that from you. Keep doing that. If you do something that they think you can work on or do better, you will know straight away. It's a really honest environment, which at times can be, you know, quite daunting. If Like, for me, example, when I turned up, I thought I was a half-decent player turning up. And then I soon realised I had I hadn't even opened up any, like any large amount of rugby knowledge that I could potentially have. I'd open a tiny amount and um, there was so much more to go. Um, and you're just like constantly learning, which is, is good, you know? Like, I love it. Like, I, I, I come away from sessions, you're, you're, you're mentally and physically tired, but you know you've really put it in. Whereas I've had many sessions before where you're like, you come off the field and you're like, what just happened there? Like, what did we actually get out of that? What did we even do? After like. Emotions. Yeah, what, how are we prepared for the weekend? Nothing, really. and the, But that is not the case here. Every, for example, we have one big session a week, every week. Um, and it is full-on. Like Other than live tackles and live breakdowns, it's full-on. It's live in the air. It's everything. So you know where you're at going into the game on the weekend because you've almost played a mini-game earlier in the week. And you know I, I think that's really... Healthy, rather than trying to just wrap players in cotton wool each week, you know.
3: Yeah, they're... I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, I well, think I think um, I think we we might come on to I think it's, it's next, but you know that kind of lockdown training, you know, because obviously over lockdown we did a bit of training together in some some of the fitness runs, and, and you know, obviously you, you you killed me on them all. But what I say, and it's a it's a, a strange example, but it, I think you know a lot of people could probably relate that listen to this. The different training we did, you were running the sessions and the difference was the, the break and how structured everything you did was. It wasn't just, right, we're going to do a 50 metre sprint here, have a rest and do a 50, we're going to do 10 or 50 metres. It was, we have got X amount of time and everything was planned down to a second, wasn't it? And it was just that kind of different mentality and your sessions compared to anything I'll do myself we're, were way 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 more advanced, even if you just get ten seconds less rest, and I think it's just that professional environment, that professional culture and attitude that, that,
2: yeah, hundred uh, percent and like obviously we were lucky to be um, with Stokes here as well, so at least you had a, we had more variety but I think um, I think you know they, with those sessions we're trying to literally emulate a, a game effectively like a, at least a, a part of a game you're never going to be able to. Do a fitness session that is the same as a 80 minute rugby match, but um, I think that's something having come to Saracens, I'm a lot stricter on. I, I think in rugby in general, um, those standards have gone through the air like through the roof. Sorry, you don't really see many unfit rugby players anymore. I like, I don't think those, those that sort of standard exists, especially in the premiership. Um, and I can't say that was the case when I first came into professional rugby. I think. It was sort of oh well he's talented so he can play but for me personally there was definitely periods of my career some at Leicester and some at Nottingham and some at Irish where I wasn't fit enough like I wasn't I wasn't fit enough I was I was coasting um, because I didn't know the standards that I needed to be at to be better and like you're saying about um, when you asked about joining Saracens you soon realise how fit and where you need to be at to even compete because i came to Saracens and we start doing um you know in a pre-season we're doing sort of conditioning games and stuff i'm looking at the other players and i'm like how are that how can they keep going how are they still running fast i'm like crawling at this point like all over the shop and you realize you know if you want to get in the team or be in the mix you've got to be at that level so it was a big learning curve in that respect yeah
0: Who's the, uh, who's the fittest bloke in the Sarri squad at the minute?
2: Um, I know he's not in the squad at the moment and we've already talked him about about him a little bit but uh, Alex Good is annoyingly fit in terms of he lives up to his um, reputation as a top drinker and then he can back it up by winning fitness with ease. Like, he is annoying and he carries a tyre around his lower tummy, and we call him the tire. Um, And I don't know how it's physically possible for him to carry this thing around and still be as fit as he is, so that's annoying. And I suppose also, so after this lockdown, which Jim was talking about, we had a Bronco test, first thing we had, straight back in. And um, everyone was pretty nervous for it. But then the fastest time was actually uh, Richard Wigglesworth who at like 37 years old was the fa- like the fittest in the squad. It was just ridiculous scenes to watch that. So, yeah, I suppose that didn't really answer your question because you're asking who is it right now. Um, I guess uh, it's a bit different
0: right now, though, isn't it?
2: Because there's yeah,
0: circumstances and...
2: Yeah, yeah. People are on loan and they're going to come back and stuff. But, uh, yeah, those two probably... Are mu- since my time at Saracens, they've been sort of the outstanding fittest people yeah yeah and
0: and two of the oldest as well
2: yeah i mean when
0: i look at uh goody i do kind of think he does look like he might be the james milner of rugby and by the sounds of things potentially (laughs) is the james milner of rugby or is james milner the goody of football i don't know
2: i don't know i'm i'm guessing you mean in like playing a by longevity on his career wise not because I don't imagine James Milner's out on the lash in his full... Doesn't drink. Liverpool, Liverpool doesn't gear. Drink, doesn't he drink. He
0: doesn't drink. What drink. is his excuse for that body? Isn't, isn't his Twitter boring James Milner? Uh, <laughs> Something like that. But I meant... You know, part of the, club. part of the club, mate.
1: Part of the boring <laughs> club.
0: <laughs> part of the boring <laughs> club. <and> him, mate. <laughs> and him busy mates. Um, Just before we, we take a little break, um, what's it been like at, at Sage recently? Obviously, because... You've got the England boys that are prepping for the Six Nations. You've also lost some big names at the squad um, in the last kind of few months. What's it been? Is it is there been a change, or has kind of the coaching staff and the leaders kind of just kept everyone in a, in this one tight kind of group?
2: Um, it's definitely fair to say that you know when you lose a few players, especially after the autumn series the england boys had three weeks off and then they were slowly integrated into training sort of load manage and stuff um but once they come back into training the standards go through the roof again so yeah it's fair to say i suppose over the last few months since we've been back in um the intensity has been there um and the speed and everything you'd expect um the effort has been there but slight dip in standards just because you you've got a lot of young players who are getting an opportunity this year and um you know that hopefully you know them training at this level for the for you know maybe faster than they'd expect because a lot of these young lads they've had to come train with us particularly because of covid and the lockdowns and stuff they can't go on loan or anything Mm -hmm. so they come train with us and you see them progressing at such a quicker rate than if Maybe they'd gone on loan because normally they wouldn't have had many reps at training. So there's no point in them being there and stuff. So it's been a bit of a mix, to be honest, but um, exciting at the same time. I think this group will definitely be better for having this year in the champ. Um, and especially the young players, they'll feel a lot more comfortable next season than if uh, all this stuff hadn't happened and they'd been shipped out on loan and stuff. They'll be properly integrated into the group. So I think in the long term, it'll benefit us a lot. Yeah.
3: Also, your your boys that have gone out, I mean, go to a massive Bristol fan. They've got what Ben Ben Earl and
0: uh, Matt yeah. I
3: mean, they're, they're carving up and they've they've got
0: better. So, if we can put a road between Bristol and London, and we can keep Ben Earl and Matt <laughs> bailey yeah. I will literally put the bill honestly <laughs> they've done wonders but it, it must be weird because they're players again that uh, big work rate well from what you can see on the pitch I don't, I don't know what they're like in training but again that must be a bit odd seeing them still play Prem Rugby and kind of doing what they're doing
2: yeah I mean it is and it isn't like obviously don't get me wrong <sighs> to be honest <laughs> if I'm being totally honest since the end of last season I actually cancelled my BT subscription because I just didn't want to watch rugby like I just I've took myself away from it in terms of uh, I don't know like it's weird when when you're not competing and there's no chance of you competing in it for a while and you you know for me personally you're a little bit bitter about that and and all these things I thought it was probably best for me to just have a little mini mental sabbatical from rugby for a little while so I'm starting to slowly watch it again and I think I will be obviously watching the Six Nations and stuff um, but at the same time I get on really well with Ben and Mac. they're good mates so I'm really happy for them that at this stage of their career it's not been it's not been halted and when I look back on my time obviously as we talked before about London Irish when we got relegated you know I, I was thinking about doing the same thing myself so I can't judge anyone who makes that decision because I think most lads would do that well all the lads would do that in that position. Especially then. They've, they've gone on loan but they're coming back. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we get promoted and we get them back and they're better players like Jim said. Yeah. Um,
0: the last thing I want to ask you about Sarsons uh, is just uh, around Alex Anderson as well. Um, I've seen a lot of noise on social media from Sarri's players past and present just praising him. Um, what was he like as a bloke and how much is he going to be missed?
2: Yeah, he's a top bloke. Um, I think that's probably why he's getting the accolades he's getting now. It's just because of, you know, how good of a guy he is. But then on top of that, he was also like a phenomenal coach. I've never, um, well, so my last year at Irish, we had Brendan Venter come in, who'd obviously massively influenced how Saracens are now and probably influenced all the coaches I'm working with now. So I had seen a taste of this kind of motivational style of coaching, but, to work around it every day, um, it it was it's so good. Like I've never seen a guy be able to stand up in well, particularly a rugby coach, stand up in front of a group of players every week and then manage to engage them, buy into what he wanted from them for that week, and you know, speak complete sense about why we were going to do it. Um, he had and he had some amazing tricks up his sleeve, like to motivate guys. He'd he'd have like the i I'll tell you one thing, so you had this thing called um the bang Bang club um and like in the bang Bang club, like we would target certain players so there were three ways to get into the bang bang club, and like one of them would be to target like we'd have certain players from whatever team who we were playing that week that we wanted to bang effectively in because that was what our whole defensive mindset was about was like physicality so. We want to bang uh, and yeah, get at them physically. So if you've got one of those players on a like phenomenal hit, then yeah, you're in the bang, bang club. And then uh, you can imagine all this being presented as well. There's lights, there's music, there's like all sorts of stuff to get in. Like if you get in the bang, bang club, you know, you are getting like prizes, rewards, like bangers, you know, like just getting thrown at you, all this stuff. Like the whole performance is like phenomenal. Um, yeah. And another way to get in would be like an, overwhelming desire to get into the Bang Bang Club so like you might not have hit those play- specific players like that we talked about but you put in many other hits throughout the game that showed real intent that you wanted to be like part of this like, <laughs> club this is so
1: good yeah. this
2: is so yeah. good and, uh, yeah, and it, it was just stuff like that like once I came to Sar- like before I'd been at Saris I don't know like you guys have, I don't know how many rugby meetings you sat in and stuff but you do hear the same stuff just get churned out over a course of time and you, you lose interest. It's like not interesting. It's boring. You disengage, but then like there'd be a new theme all the time. So like, for example, when we played Rassing Away last year, um, we talked about their stadium and like what it would bring in terms of how it was indoors and it was effectively a nightclub. So like Al turned, um, our meeting room into a nightclub and we're all there just like basically raving in the team meeting effectively and like there's all like little things like that
0: <laughs> so at the end of the podcast we you know we have a discussion about stuff we've already done the lockdown stuff so we're going to finish on rugby moments Phil we like to let each other take turns on picking which one do you want to ask today I'll ask Alex
1: what is your best rugby moment
2: Alex <laughs> <laughs> Um, so has to be one, That's I mean, you one.
1: Can, I mean, one big one, and you can you can give us some previews.
2: Okay, I'd say overall, winning the quarterfinal against Leinster last year was like in the Aviva was pretty special. Um Considering we'd had to wait six months to play the game because um, of COVID and stuff, so there's such a build up, and we. We're obviously getting relegated and all sorts of reasons. But, yeah, that was pretty special. Um, but then also uh, getting promotion with London Irish, um, because not just, not because it was like a massive game in terms of like my career, but um, you don't understand the amount of relief on that. Like if we'd have lost that game, then yeah, all our team has to reassess what they're doing with their lives. Like, are they staying at a champ team again for another year or are they moving on? If so, what teams have got room? For, like, there's so many things to consider there that we just had to win it. So to go and win it was, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Who did you play in, who did you play in the final? Uh, Leeds.
3: Ah. <clears throat> what about the, um, you, you mentioned it at the start, what about the hat against Saracens? On your birthday as well.
2: Good memory. Yeah, that was good. That was pretty special, actually. Um, yeah, although we lost, though. So, tinged with. <laughs> I, I reckon I'm the only winger in the. or any player in Premiership history to score a hat trick and lose. That must be a thing. I reckon I've got that. I know someone's going to come back with
0: that.
1: Someone's going to come back and tell us that that's not true, but. We'll give it you for
0: now. We'll we'll comment on that uh, next week. Okay, Um, considering Phil took the fun one, what's the uh, worst rugby moment you've had? Um, They're playing with (laughs) Jim.
3: No, they were were all good moments, to be fair.
2: I didn't know if we were going to come on to my school memories, but I. I that well, that was almost the be- we all know it. it's the best time in rugby, isn't it? No, no expectation, playing with mates, the best. Um, I yeah, I had Nathan, Jim, and Rich Astry in the back row, so they just fight all my battles for me and just let me do whatever I wanted with the ball. So it's happy days Um,
3: <laughs> we had a we had a rule at school. Alex, Alex will know this one in training Alex had a rule that he, he, you, only set, you could only take 10 steps or something, five steps when you'd gone through. Because yeah, otherwise like otherwise our training like would be pointless because you'd just get the ball and score. So we had this stupid rule where Alex could only run like five paces once he'd broken a tackle. And then he had to go down and pretend he'd been tackled. It, it was like, when you look back at it, you're thinking, wow, we were... <laughs> How bad were we? <laughs> 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 our mate was having to be told to be tackled because we couldn't tackle him.
2: Did you win anything in your year? No, nah, we got to like we did the Daily Mail one year um, and got to what like the last sixteen or something. But four
3: yeah, um, quarters
2: we, we lost to the winners. Didn't we? Yeah, so that was probably our year to do something if we were going to, but we yeah we didn't didn't do anything.
3: They battered us as well. we beat
2: we beat Trent College every year so that was that was our main goal so we did that (laughs) never lost to Trent College that was decent so I didn't answer you didn't answer your question I was like no I was going to say
0: that can't be your worst I
2: memory no mate I suppose more recently losing the semi-final after that losing to Racing was pretty low after that that was that was pretty shit yeah because you're so close and whatever but yeah these things, what, what, I suppose,
1: that was quite a strange game, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I can't watch it back. It's a bit painful, to be honest. Um I remember it was sort of like it was quite tight the whole game. Probably like what five or five or so points in it the whole game, and then mm. they scored that try at the end, which <laughs> annoyingly we'd worked on all week defensively that they might do that, and it. They do it in the seventy seventh minute or whenever it was, and and score from it. But I suppose that's why they pay the big money to chase. Yeah. Ah,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. Would, would you uh, ever consider a move over the English Channel?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, um, if if the opportunity was right. But then you also hear talk about some English teams not treating their players well here. I think you've got to pick your club wisely over there. I don't, yeah? It's, it's not it's not just a matter of not getting treated well, it's a matter of getting paid at all. So if you're going to put your eggs in that basket, you need to be pretty sure that it's a solid choice for yourself. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's hard to say definitely, but I'd be I've open got, to
1: it. I've had a couple of friends who have played in France and some that are still there now. Um, one of them played in the second tier in France for about three years and his contract was for another two years but realised that he hadn't been paid for two months and then was like, oh, okay. And so went to ask like one of the guys or girls in the office, you know, is there something wrong with payroll? And they're like, oh no, we've been told not to pay you anymore. So he just ended up coming home
2: with nothing. Okay yeah don't don't fancy that to be honest it sounds pretty shit so no. give that a miss
0: no um, and before before we let you go I'm sure he listens do you want to say hello to uh, Eddie Jones at all <laughs> <laughs> has he has he dropped a text at any point
2: no obviously when I was in that sort of Saxon squad I was on the cusp I suppose and we spoke a little bit around there but um, I think that sh- while Eddie's in charge, I think that ship's probably sailed, and um, you know there's a lot of good wingers out there. So I'm I'm just uh, looking forward to getting back into the prem with Saris and enjoying sort of these last few years of my career, really, and um, and making the most of it.
0: That's
2: uh, what most people. Call... When are you uh,
1: when are you coming back to Pavs, or when are you going to play your first game for
2: Pavs? You know? So there <laughs> is some. Ch- there's some chat floating around in my friendship group that's been mentioned on this podcast before, but um, we're trying to conjure up a game at the end of mine and Stokesy and Maxwell's careers where we could come and play one game for Pabs, essentially One oh, and one.
1: Just one season. One season. You're absolutely
2: fine. Well, so you'd three. You fit. That's a back fit,
0: three, isn't it? You'd fit in the third team.
2: Absolutely
0: perfect. <laughs> you organise a good social... You'd absolutely yeah. love it. You could have the chalice of choice with Pecky. It'd be absolutely perfect. No, we could have a
2: we could have a rave for our pre-game uh, meeting or something, couldn't we? We mate, could get the to light, we'll
0: going. I bet Kieran will bring the music. Um, uh, so, Alex, before we let you go, you, uh, you've got a shout-out to give.
2: Yeah, uh, just a quick shout-out to Will, your mate Nick Sutton's uh, obviously on, got onto the GOAT to... Um, give a bit of exposure to you and you know you've been going for a bit of a tough time moving over to Dublin no one wants to do that I've got an Irish missus so I know about the pain of that trust me Um, so I just want to say all the best mate and I hope you enjoy the podcast
0: thanks for coming on though mate it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you we'll uh, have to get you back on at some point it's been also Jim thank you for coming on as the first live audience member have you enjoyed yourself yeah, it's been a great day out. Great, great, <laughs> great day out. <Al>. Uh, <laughs> remember, Jim, to subscribe and to like and to share. That's what you've got a remember to do. But, Alex, honestly, mate, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll chat to you soon.
2: Cheers, guys. Appreciate
0: it. So, that was Alex and audience member Jim. Uh, good podcast, good bloke. And what do you think, Phil? I think we got a lot out of Alex there. Um,
1: Obviously, his ex-team-out of mine for a couple of years. Uh, but as you mentioned in the podcast, um, we didn't really spend that much time together. No. Um, but got on, uh, as I tend to do with, with the majority. Uh, and I'm sure Alex does too, not to uh, disperse him. But um, yeah, no, I think that was really good. I think we got a lot out of that. I think, you know, as a podcast, we're trying to push this a bit further now. Uh, try and speak to some guys that have played at high levels and and have some kind of link to the club. Um, and hopefully in the coming weeks, we're going to have some other absolute belters.
0: Yeah, I, it might even be that the link to the club is they've played rugby. Well, <laughs> I mean,
1: it can be tenuous. Like they yeah. could have one letter from the word pavias in their name.
0: Yeah. But, but we'll, yeah. we'll be... Playing the card—that is for sure. We definitely. I mean, we don't have to get it past anyone, but uh, <laughs> for our sake, we <laughs> we can. Yeah, I think it is. It's it's a time for our listeners to uh, get the pads pod to to grow a bit as well, so everyone can give it give it a share, especially after this one. Because well, we hinted to earlier. We have got our big boy pants on now. It's getting serious. Oh. I mean, top guests, Zoom Pro. I mean, I've got a brand new laptop to record on next week. Wow! What else do we need next? The Emmys, monetary sponsors. Um, Oh yeah, and them that'd be (laughs) good. That'd be good. We'll we'll come back to that. Um, Phil. Oh, before before, what I wanted to get over go over again that we had in the podcast. How good does the Bang Bang Club sound? Yeah. So that may.
1: That, that that may be incorporated next season. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I don't play first team, but I will come and join in the Bang Bang Club and dance around with it going on. I like Bang the Bang noise. Club sounds a great idea. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. So watch this space on the Bang Bang Club. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we might have to change the name. I bet they've copyrighted it. Yeah. <laughs> boom Smash Boom. Rush.
0: Boom Boom Club. Boom Boom. Boom <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Well um <laughs> <laughs> Phil, before I let you go, have you got any wise words not not this week, no, 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 all been spent this week on the on the interviews, of course, of course, right, in that case, have a good week, and uh we look forward to seeing everyone again next week. Goodbye.